You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. That is the essence of what we've been looking at for this series as we discuss this hashtag love of what love really means because it is the pursuit of every person and what we desire but sometimes if we're not recognizing what it is that we're looking for we can run after things that are facade. We can run after things that are, that are, that are mirage, just something that we think is there. It's not real. It's not what it was meant to be or it's not what we thought it was. But we want to continue this series, uh, week two, uh, looking at hashtag love. And uh, you had an opportunity this week to maybe send a Valentine's Day card and send something out. And if you did, Hallmark thanks you because Hallmark makes on average over $300 million because of your desire to express your love to that special person. Your desire to express your love to that person has fulfilled their desire to make money off of us. And they're doing well at that. $300 million in this process. But it's an, it's an important thing to express love, to express our appreciation, acceptance, and, and just the encouragement of each other and the words that God would have us give. I don't know if you know this or not, but on Hallmark's website, it'll tell you that where the first Valentine was sent. The first Valentine was sent by a man who was in prison in, in uh, just the, the 1300s. And as he was in prison, his name had Valentine in in it, but he had one of those uh, one of those uh, Latin or Spanish names, and of that time, it, it was something that that it was the Valentine was in there, and this is where it all begins because he was a Christian believer who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was thrown into prison. While in prison, he became friends with the jailer. He spoke to the jailer. The jailer told him that his daughter was born blind. This Valentine in prison began to pray for the daughter. The daughter's vision was restored. She was completely restored of her vision. As a result, some 60 to 70 members of their family came to know Jesus Christ because of that miracle. It was not liked by the state. It was something that they opposed. They did not, it, they did not appreciate what was taking place. Therefore, Valentine was no longer just in prison. He was now about to be killed. And so he was sentenced to death. And just before he he was sentenced to death, he wrote a note to the jailer's daughter and he said to the jailer's daughter, never fall from your faith, Complete your, continue to complete your trust in Jesus Christ and he signed it, love your Valentine. It was the first Valentine card sent and it was sent from a Christian who was encouraging the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, yeah, you're a preacher, you'll try and make anything up to make it sound religious and good. <laughs> I read it on Hallmark's website. I didn't make it up. It was on Hallmark's website. And now if Hallmark says that was the first Valentine card sent, that this whole purpose of what we send, our desire to express love, our desire to express love. If you sent a Valentine card, I hope it didn't go something like this. Looking back over the years that we've been together, I can't help but wonder, what was I thinking? <laughs> I hope your Valentine card didn't say that. I hope your Valentine card didn't say this. As the days go by, I think of how lucky I am 
that you're not here to ruin them day, the days I have. <laughs> I hope you didn't send that Valentine card. Some of you are like, I can't believe you just read that in church. It's funny. Okay, maybe not. I'll read another one anyway. All right. We have been friends for such a very long time. What do you say we call it quits? <laughs> Hope you didn't send that one. I'm so miserable without you. It's almost like you're right here with me. <laughs> oh, who writes this stuff? This is, oh. When we were together, you always said you'd die for me. Now that we're apart, I wonder if you'll keep your promise. <laughs> Not good. Those of you that are laughing, I'm glad we can have humor. Those of you that are scolding me, just send the email. I'll apologize. No. Your Valentine didn't say anything like that. My Valentine to my wife didn't say anything like that. We express our love and we want to experience that love as well, that love that comes. But that last part, you said you would die for me. I want to talk this morning about having a love to die for. You've heard the expression, that's to die for, and what that means. And just talk about in our lives today, having a love to die for. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to take a look at this verse, the first, uh, first nine or ten verses together, but Philippians chapter 2. Here's what the Bible says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. In the, this is the New Living Translation. And it says this, that it, he says that we would make him happy, Paul the author, make him happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another. I don't know about you, but when you read that, that seems nearly impossible. How many know that even in marriages, you, you are not likely to, to agree on everything wholeheartedly? Have you found that out? And Paul's making a point here that our purpose of agreeing, of being one, that it's not agreeing together, that we sometimes treat this agreement together, that there's one person on one side, and this applies to any relationship, whether it be marriages, whether it be friendship, working relationships, or, or any type of relationships, that sometimes we perceive the, the process of agreeing together is that when one person on one side convinces the other person on the other side to leave their point and to come to where they are. Agreement does not mean transfer it there can be times that there are times that that can be completely completely a, a a perspective where this person's completely wrong this person might be completely right but the agreement doesn't happen because we get one person to leave their side and come to the other side agreement only happens when we recognize not individual sides but the center of jesus christ and we say to ourselves this is god's will for us in christ jesus that is agreement because we sometimes have a hard time agreeing because we don't want the other person to have the benefit of being right and us wrong. We don't want the benefit of them having the, being correct and us being wrong. And so we don't agree sometimes because we, the hardship for us to agree is I'm not leaving where I am. But we will never agree until we each person 
Once again, not only a marriage, but in any relationship, when each person is willing to leave their point to step in the center and say, this is what we agree upon, not who's right, not who's wrong, but we agree this, that this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. That when we acknowledge in a marriage, in a friendship, in a relationship, we disagree But in that relationship, we have to ask ourselves, it's not a matter of us agreeing together on each other's sides, but us agreeing that we want to accomplish and fulfill the will of God in our lives, and we want God to be glorified. When we agree on that, how many know we can do what Paul says, that we can wholeheartedly agree with one another? When that becomes our essence of agreement, that we are together wanting to do what pleases God. That's why Paul said it is important to not be unequally yoked. If you are in a relationship that is unequally yoked, and by that word, if you're combined in a relationship and you're in a pursuit and you're not heading the same direction, it will be hard to agree wholeheartedly in the things of God. But maybe you're in a relationship and you're not not going in the same direction. If you're not married, if you're in a relationship that is not heading in the same direction according to Christ, and you're not married, then change the course you're headed. Don't pursue or think that you can have missionary dating or missionary engagement where you'll win someone in the process because it's a danger. You need to allow Christ to be the center because if your focus is what you need to do to win that person to Christ, that's really not your purpose. Your purpose is how can I justify this? Your pursuit is not what can you do. And you make that person the essence of your your pursuit. But your pursuit needs to be Christ. And when you do that together, the importance of being equally yoked, going in the same direction, only then can we wholeheartedly agree with one another. When we can honestly say, this is not my opinion, not my will, not your opinion, not your will. This is the will for us in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God. At that moment, I get off my perch, that person gets off their perch, and we stand at the cross, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we say, at this point, we can agree. At this point, we can, can move forward. At this point, we can stand in unity. That is the heart of what Paul is saying here, that he wants us to wholeheartedly agree with one another. That's God's desire in every relationship. It's God's desire in this church relationship. We're going to have a business meeting. And I love business meetings. Here's what I, I love, not because they're called, we call them family business meetings. I love coming together and casting vision and dreaming together. And here's the reality. I'm not naive enough to think that we all think the same way. I'm not naive enough to think that there's not multiple opinions or ideas of how things ought to be done. I realize that. That's normal. That's good. I love the ideas because it challenges. It causes us to not say, oh, what do you want? What do you want? No, it causes us to hear what's being said and ask the ultimate question, what does Jesus Christ want? What is the will of God for us that we must agree on this? The agreement in a marriage or in any relationship does not work well when I just simply say, well, I'm going to agree to do it whatever way you want it done that's not agreement now it 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 is agreement but it's not effective it's agreement whenever we're able to say we are committing that we're going to do this the way that christ wants it done that each side coming to a place and recognizing the purpose that god would have paul gives us and he tells us that's what he wants us to do wholeheartedly agree which let's be honest would seem impossible Right? Let's be real. In our relationships, that would seem impossible. Or in other translations, says having one mind. But I like how the New Living Translation puts it and breaks it down. 
make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse 3 goes in to tell us how to do it. Verse 3, it's going to get personal. Don't be selfish. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be selfish. Look at your neighbor and say, thanks for reminding me. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of, your, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now that word attitude can also be translated to emotional feelings. You need to have the emotional connections as Christ had. The attitude. How many know that your emotions affect your attitude? Right? <laughs> we won't go there. Emotions affect attitudes. <laughs> we understand that. And here Paul is saying that your attitude needs to be the same as Jesus. Your emotional feelings and attitude needs to be the same as Jesus. And here's what Jesus had. Verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. I want you to see, not only did he give his life, but at the end of that, he was elevated. He was brought to a place of honor. That this process of what God caused to happen in his life, that this love, this pursuit that we need to have for one another, being at a place that we can develop a love that we are able to die for. You see, because in in order to agree together wholeheartedly, there takes an essence of dying inside of us. The only way I can leave my perch to get into the center and, and focus on what the will of God is, is when I no longer make it about me, but I humble myself and I allow myself to come to a place that I die to my own opinions, my own ideas, my own wants, my own desires, and I say, I want the will of God above all things. When I come to that place, I experience a love to die for. Now, you've heard it said, that's to die for. You may have said it before. I've heard people refer to it. I, I don't know why. It just seems like there's female voices that I hear saying, that's to die for. You know what I mean? It's just, they're talking about the stuff that's to die for. Maybe, it's, maybe there's, there's fashion. There's, there's things that there's, oh, that's to die for. You know, I, I don't remember saying, showing something to Pastor Josh and saying, hey, man, what do you think? And him saying, oh, that's to die for. I, it just, I don't know. It's just, he's never said it. It's just, so... But this expression of that's to die for, I was on the, uh, uh, on the internet and I found this, uh, this recipe, not that I was looking for it, but I was looking for some stories on, on uh, to die for, this whole thing of, of where did this root word, this, this whole thing, you know, you can Google anything. So I found a recipe for to die for banana nut bread. Now if you like banana nut bread, this, I don't know if this is good or bad, but even the title of it, it's a recipe for to die for banana nut bread. I'm thinking, I don't know if I want that recipe because it's to die for. And you say, oh, what happened to him? Oh, he wanted banana nut bread. I mean, I mean it's not much value to want something so much that you 
die in the process and never enjoy having it because it was to die for. And this understanding of it's to die for and what, what we would say, we understand that when we use that in our culture, when we say those things, it's to die for. Don't we understand? We're exaggerating. We're, we're, we're saying things, we're not taking it literally, obviously. It's an exaggeration. The problem with that is that's much of the love in our culture today. It's exaggerated. It's overstated and under displayed. It's over communicated and under follow through. It's an overstatement and an exaggeration that we perceive and say of things that it's to die for, but we say it with an overstatement and carry it out with an underdisplay. That it's to die for in this, in this desire, this purpose, that God has given us a love that literally is something that can die for. When you die for something, it is to value something worthy of your very existence. Now, think about that. It's valued Worthy is something that's so valuable it's worthy of your very existence. Rather than being exaggerated, you love. We can exaggerate our love, but that exaggeration really is not the exaggeration would be I love you until, I love you if, I love you when. It doesn't sound real romantic to say, hey honey, I promise to love you with all my heart until a better deal comes along. It's real romantic. You see, the romance of that is literally in that dying or to value or to have a love that is to die for. Here's the essence of what romance is. And these words come out from the same era, the same time frame. That romance was used as a word to describe the men who would come back in the 1300s or in the, in the, the medieval periods, actually. That they would come back and they would fight for the Christian faith. They would come back and then they would be called knights because they would defend a way of life. Sometimes they defended not the cause of Christ, the way of their own life. We gotta be real. There's some church history that isn't real healthy. The Crusades were not a healthy period for the church. There's realities. We understand that. Here's why. Because self-righteousness will make you do stupid things. Self-righteousness that leads to religion will cause you to fight for your way of doing things rather than standing for the truth of what God's word is. And we've always got to be careful. Am I standing on my way of doing things or am I standing on the truth of God's word? Or am I standing on the way I want it done? And here it is in history. It was, not a, it was not always the best of times, but this word romance came out to describe that these were, this, was, this was an act of romance, that these men would sacrifice themselves and go and serve and fight a cause greater than them, that defends something greater than themselves. Literally what verse, chapter, or verse four that we read here says to us that we should consider others and their interests higher than our own interests. We should put other people's interests above our interests, that we we should consider what other people's needs are. There's a direct correlation between the word romance and the knight in shining armor because it was described as a romantic act that that man would go out and when he would, when he would come back, he was called a knight. And that's why we hear things like the knight in shining armor. All of this from the same era, from the same time frame because it was a perspective of that is an honorable person who lives his life not according to his interests but allows the interests of others to be more important than his. Here's what 
what romance is. It's more, than the, it's more than the atmosphere of the music, the candles, the lights, the things that could be around. Romance is when we live our everyday life of preferring other people above ourselves. You are the most romantic when you make it other people's interests. Husband, are you romantic? It's not in the acts of what you, what you give and the gifts that you could give. It's in the decisions that you make. Wives, the same way, to prefer others above yourself. Romance is the art or the act of which we put other people first. So therefore, to have a love to die for is not really at all a dying, but really a living. A romantic love to die for is a love that prefers others. A love to die for is not so much about what you give your life for in death, but what you give your life for in living. In 1999, there was a tragic event that shook our nation. It was Columbine. I was a senior in college and had just graduated or getting ready to graduate from North Central Bible College. And uh, Jody and I were married at the time and we were going to a bowling alley there in Minnesota. And while we were spending uh, just some time, some free time, we walked into the bowling alley and there on the television, it was silence in the, in the, the bowling alley and people were watching the TVs as we learned of what had happened in Columbine, in Colorado. There in that place, this area named for a flower, Columbine, became a place known for tragedy as lives were lost at the hands of other, of other teenagers. And there in that event, it shook the heart of our nation. But a question rippled from that moment because it was reported that the gunman would go there and there was one student in particular and it's reported this way that Cassie Bernal was asked this question. And I remember at that season just graduating and soon later becoming a youth pastor and that question that was, that was asked from that time was still carrying and rippling in through youth ministry and church culture. And the question was this, that it was said of Cassie Bernal that while she was under a table in the library of that high school, that the gunman came by and with the gun to her head asked the question, do you believe in God? It was reported that that was the question that was asked before her life was taken. And I remember this question coming about as a result of that. And maybe you remember it in 1999 and, and a couple years after and the questions that were asked this, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God enough to die for him? Do you believe in God enough? And it, with this question was asked that if you were in that scenario, if you were in that situation, as a youth pastor, I asked the question to teenagers. I remember preaching sermons and challenging teenagers, will you die for God? Will you give your life for the cause of Christ? Will you surrender everything you are? To which I had to ask myself, will you die for Christ? Will you give everything you have for this passion to this love? It was not a profound answer maybe to you, but it came, became so real to me that when I acknowledged and understood, the answer to that question was simply this, that it is not likely that I would die for God if I was not actively living for God it is not likely that I would take in that moment give my life and have a love to die for if I've not expressed and known a love worth living for it's one thing to say you'll die but he's not asking you today will you die for your love he's asking will you lose every breath and every moment you have and every living moment will you love with what you have the answer to the question of whether or not you'll die is whether or not you're living right now what you'll die for is dependent are affected by what you've decided to live for. What it is that you pursue and your purpose in your life. I'll not likely die. The same is the truth for a love. We give romantic imagery to the love that someone is willing to give their life for dying. But the romance is found in someone who is willing to give their life in living. That every moment, every breath 
giving purpose and preferring others above ourselves. Let me be real. Only by the grace of God can we love in such a way. Only by the grace of God can we prefer others. To die for is the process of gaining. To live for is the process of giving. Think about this this morning. To die for is the process of gaining. To live for is the process of giving. We are humbled to live and we are honored to die. We will not know the honor of dying for if we've not experienced the privilege of living for. Philippians 1.21 says this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, the gain, it seems honorable to die, to have a love that you would die for. As honorable as that is, it is only experienced when you are humbled enough to live for. You will never know the honor of dying for until you are humbled enough to live for. You will never, I I don't know if that'll sink in and put that in your perspective, but you want to be honored. We all want honor. Everybody wants honor. We all want to be honored. Men, we want to be respected. We want to be honored. We want to be, we want to have a place of honor and a place of respect. And that place of being honored and respected is only the result of when we humble ourselves. Now I realize this is for all of us. This is each and every one of us. You'll never know the honor of, of that experience. You'll never experience the honor until there's a humility of laying down, of giving and surrendering ourselves. Jesus died for us and we can say that, we can celebrate that. We can celebrate that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but we've got to be real and honest. The power of what Jesus did for us was not that he died, but that he lived. The first great thing that he did was that he was born itself, that he was even born, because the Bible says this, it says that when Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience. It was in humility that he even was born. It was in humility that he even lived his life. He humbled himself and lived among us. And it was his humility to live is what gave way for his honor to die. That you can't have the honor of dying for something until you've known the humility of living your life, your everyday moment of humbling yourself to honor those relations to honor most of all God but those relationships around us the greatest thing he did was that he lived for us by his coming and as a baby he came as in such a way but then also even after dying for us the power we understand that when he died on the cross he paid our price but the victory wasn't won when he paid our price the victory was won when he rose from the dead or lived again it is in his living that we have victory and therefore to only way the only way we'll know the love worth dying for or a love to die for is when we practice a love living a love worth living a love that we carry out and prefer and put others before ourselves the love to die for is a love that lives with humility it's a love that lives with humility and unfortunately we have an infection inside of us called selfishness. Selfishness affects us and keeps us from being able to experience the love that God wants us to have. You see, we're not able to freely love sometimes because we haven't freely received. See, the Bible says, as you freely receive, freely give. But you can't freely give what you haven't freely received. Unfortunately, instead of knowing a love to die for, this is our culture. Think of this. Instead of knowing a love to die for, we are dying to find a love to live for. Instead of knowing a love to die for, we are dying to find a love to live for. 
our pop culture, the media, the, the things that we, we don't need to get into a blast against the things around us, but we got to be real that in our culture and the things that are around us, it's everybody looking for love and their expressions of where to find it. And unfortunately, the unhealthy just give way to unhealthy. And there's a whole bunch of sickness that's going on and everybody trying to find love and it becomes an infiltrated place of sickness, of despair and desperation and of no life and no health and just a place of emptiness. We talked last week, the ice that sometimes has holes in it. And this is our culture. This is, this is the, the things that we perceive. And it's kind of like what I would put in Matthew chapter 8, the leper who came to Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this this morning as we get ready to close. And because there's some, many people are not able to really experience or operate in the free love that God has for them. Because they haven't experienced the freeing love that God wants to put inside of them. You see, because sometimes we put the expectation of love on people around us. See, I found that out in my adult years, recognizing that in my home, this isn't a boo-hoo statement. It's just some realities that I had to recognize the tendencies in my life. And the tendencies of my life, even into my adulthood, was to try to please people. Because everybody wants to be affirmed. Everybody wants to be told, you're doing a good job, everything's good. I recognized that that was not something easily passed on. It was given, but it was, it was done so in roundabout ways. It wasn't directly. I didn't grow up with this direct approach of, man, you're so good. God's good. You know, you're, 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 you're doing a great job. It was from that approach of, hey, you're doing a great job, it's good. But everybody wants to know the appreciation and sometimes the desire to be affirmed can cause us to have a perspective of looking for someone on the outside to fulfill what we're longing for on the inside. And I know I'm not the only one. You've looked for someone to fulfill on the inside. You look for someone on the outside to fulfill what you are longing for on the inside. Whether it be an affirmation, whether it be in, in, in uh, uh, just a, being appreciated or, or loved or whatever your definition of that was or is. And unfortunately, there's sometimes we can even, I've found this even as well, I then get married. And I can put some pressure sometimes on my wife to make it her job to make me happy. When in the reality, I've had to learn growing up now 17 years of marriage and these years of life, it's not her job to make me happy. No person could carry that load. Nor is it my job to make her happy. Because I cannot expect someone on the outside to affect what is needed on the inside. And when I don't receive what's on the inside, I become an infection that keeps passing unhealthy relationships onto unhealthy relationships. And it becomes like a leper camp where there's just sickness all around because no one has been fulfilled by the love of Christ and knowing what he has. And you'll never find on the outside what you need until you allow the only one to do the work on the inside. We can't put the burden on other people to fulfill the needs that only Jesus Christ can. Think of this, every time there was a leper, he had to be ostracized and put out in a camp away from all the other people, which meant the only people he could hang out with were other lepers. They were infected. Do you realize how unhealthy the relationships were there? 
There were no good relationships because they were all unhealthy. Everybody had a sickness. Everybody had a disease. But I want you to hear, and I want, as the worship team comes quietly this morning, because here's what I believe. There's some of us here today that we need the Holy Spirit to do a work on the inside so we can experience the love that he wants us to express on the outside. I know we could sit here and compare and say, childhood was this, this is what we lack, this is what we experienced, this is what took place. Here's what I want you to know. God did not desire such pravity and such difficulty for your life to experience. He is not, it was not his plan, it's not his desire, but he is still the God that when you come into his presence, when you come at his feet, he'll heal you in a moment. Your life, your life issues of concern, your life issues of things that you've been missing from whatever relationship that Jesus Christ can restore and make you whole he makes us new so that I don't have to look outside for anything I need but I can find what I need on the inside I want to close with this as they play softly because here's when I, I did some studying and I read about the lepers it was Matthew chapter 8 and this is what started it I, I was reading Matthew chapter 8 one day and as I'm reading Matthew chapter 8 it struck me that I've read this before almost all my life because I grew up in church and it finally hit me this one this past week as I'm reading Matthew chapter 8 the Bible says this that Jesus was going around and he was teaching and a large crowd followed him and there in the large crowd was a man with leprosy I never saw this before but I had to ask the question who let the leper out the leper's supposed to be with all these sick people And here's the leper who is contagious. He can't have healthy relationships. In fact, it was even unlawful for you to be with the leper. He's unhealthy. All of a sudden, here's a large crowd, and a leper is in the middle of the large crowd. How did he get there? The leper comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. Jesus doesn't say anything. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the leper. Do you realize that was probably the first touch that man had received for months, if not years? He had not known the touch and he could not even receive. Do you know what that tells me? Some of us, we've been receiving touches from people, but even people's desire to express love to us is never experienced because we've not first experienced the touch of Jesus Christ. You'll never know the fulfilling touch of a husband or a wife in your life if you don't know the first touch of Jesus. Christ to complete you. You'll never know the fulfillment of the touch until you've been touched by the master. Until his touch has done something in your life. Here it is. Jesus doesn't say a word. He touches him. And then he says I want you to be clean. Be healed. And in that moment, Jesus then says, now go and show yourself to the priest. Follow this. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest because that's what the law said to do. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So watch this. Leviticus chapter 14. You write it down, study it later. But here's what it says. That those who were lepers or had skin disease and they were healed needed to go to the priest. The priest would take two birds that were clean. He would take two clean birds that were approved. He would take the two birds, along with the two birds, he had a cedar wood, he had a scarlet cloth, and he had a hyssop branch. He would take those things, and he would take the first bird. They were similar. He would take the first bird, and he would slaughter that bird over a clay pot filled with fresh water. He would slaughter that bird, and he would drain the blood into that fresh pot. Then he would bury the dead bird. 
He would then take the, the living bird and he would tie the living bird to the hyssop branch, a type of a, a tree branch, but to the hyssop branch. He would tie it to the branch, this living bird, with a scarlet cloth. He would then take that branch and he would dip it in the water the blood and the water mixture. He would then take the bird out and he would take the water on his hand and he would sprinkle that unclean man seven times. Just like Naaman when God told him to go into the Jordan River and to dip seven times because seven is the number of perfection. You'll never know the love of anyone around you until you know the perfect love that comes from Jesus Christ. You'll never know the love. You'll just keep passing on unhealthy love, unhealthy love until you know the love that comes from Jesus Christ. He then sprinkles him seven times. And then after that, he takes the bird and he unties the bird from the hyssop branch and he sets it. And the Bible says he lets the wild bird fly to an open space. This morning, God wants you to fly to an open space, to not live in a love that is bound and hindered, but to live in the freedom of his love, to be able to love freely, not with regret, not with vulnerability, not with hurt, not with with depreciation, but to know who you are in Christ so that God can complete a work inside of you let me hang with me for a little bit because here's the cool thing he said take the living the dead bird and a living bird I want you to know that Jesus Christ is both birds he is the dead one and he is the living one he's the one who gave his life over the clay pot that was filled with fresh water he is the living water from heaven and over that clay pot his life was was sacrificed and from that the bible says that when he was pierced on the cross that blood and water flowed out from him why because it's the place where it was mixed together because he is both son of god and son of man he's deity and then the living bird you take the 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 cedar wood the cross of jesus christ Then you take the scarlet cloth and you tie him. It's the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ that covers. It's the atonement. And then you take the hyssop branch. The hyssop branch is what was used when Jesus was on the cross. They took a sponge and they put the sponge on the hyssop branch. And they held the hyssop branch up to Jesus. And he took a drink from that sponge. And as soon as he took a drink from the sponge off the hyssop branch, he said these words, it is finished. And the moment he said those words, it broke freedom and it caused life to change. It changed everything. Your life needs to reach a place that you get tired of hanging out in the unhealthy, 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 and you leave the sick camp and you go to where Jesus is and you say, Jesus, I know you can. And if you want to, you can heal me. If you want to make me new, you can make me new. If you want to take my years of past, my years of hurt and make me new, I know you can. And if you want to, I'll let you because you'll never know a love worth dying for until you've experienced the love that gives you the power to live the love that comes from Jesus his love that changes everything only in that can I freely love only in that can I love so God help us to love thanks for listening tune in again next week